Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Applications are now open for the Canadian Export Challenge, CXC 2020, presented in partnership with UPS, the Trade Commissioner Service, and Export Development Canada, along with MasterCard and Scotiabank, and powered by Google Canada, is the first nationwide fully digital pitch competition for Canadian exporters. This year, the Canadian Export Challenge will be accepting all first round pitches through online video submissions. Don't miss your chance to pitch for up to $25,000 cash and up to $100,000 in support. What are you waiting for? Submit your pitch video now. The free events are open to attend for all Canadian entrepreneurs and anyone interested in learning more about the Canadian export ecosystem. Register at startupcan.ca forward slash CXC. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit Magazine, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and will share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Ottawa entrepreneur Catherine Clark. Named one of Ottawa's 40 Under 40 by the Ottawa Chamber of Commerce, Catherine Clark is a nationally respected broadcaster and MC, and she's president of Catherine Clark Communications, providing strategic communications and public affairs advice to individuals, institutions, and corporations. Through her work in television, radio, and print, Catherine has interviewed Canada's most influential people, and she's co-founder of The Honest Talk, a new multi-platform podcast and event experience targeted at a dynamic, professional audience of women who are looking for more. More from themselves, more from their businesses and elected leaders, and more from the world around them. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to get to talk to you. It's, it's great to have you here. 
What I like to do to get started is uh, entrepreneurs, as you know, because you're one of us, is entrepreneurs are busy people. They need to know what's in it for them if they're going to devote uh, half an hour to a podcast or whatever. So tell us, what are, what are one or two things you'd most like our audience to take away from our conversation today? I think probably a message of hope, first of all, because that's one thing that um, entre entrepreneurs basically um, live and die on. Um, you don't start up a business without a lot of hope and belief in yourself and an idea that um, you think has good merit. But those um, hope has been tested a little bit in the past uh, several months. And um, it's been a tough time for entrepreneurs. So I'd like them to take away an idea that um, that they have to keep the faith and keep uh, faith in themselves and in their their projects and ideas and businesses. Um, that's that's a starter. And um, then also a sense that of the importance of continuing to innovate. One of the things about entrepreneurs is that they always have ideas. And not everyone says, hey, great idea. You should totally go for that. And some of that's merit-based. Some of them are not great ideas. So, you know, they involve um when you have a million ideas, there's always going to be winners and others that aren't quite as awesome. Um, but if you really believe in it, keep going for it, keep going after it. And I think that that's an important message to keep giving entrepreneurs because uh, it's a tough world. Yeah. Two beautiful messages. Thank you so much. Tell me a little bit about your journey. Some of us remember getting to know you years and years ago uh, when you were the, the, the daughter of Prime Minister Joe Clark and Maureen McTeer, and uh, we had this wonderful family in, uh, in, 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 uh, in, in as, as leading the nation. And somehow you ended up as an entrepreneur coming from one of the most political families anywhere. Uh, tell me how that happened. I had most of my career in media, um, in television, in fact, and loved it found it completely fascinating and also had the chance through the show that I hosted for the longest amount of time to interview first politicians and then notable Canadians about their lives outside of the public eye. And that was important to me because I lived a life very much in the public eye. And it was, um, I felt that people didn't necessarily understand those that they watched every day on TV or listened to on the radio. And I mean, at that time, they didn't really see them on the internet. But um, I wanted I wanted people to get a sense that these were human beings who faced the same kind of issues and challenges that the rest of us face. Um, so I um, loved working in television and loved the opportunity to connect with individuals. But when my last contract in television ended, I realized that I had a choice. I could. Um, I could go into the private sector and use the communication skills that I had working for a company and thus exist on their schedule, you know, a kind of um, eight to six uh, timetable where you are um, on call based on, you know, your employer's needs to suit the client. Or I could start my own well, most pe Most people call that life. <laughs> <laughs> Employment, work. <laughs> yeah, but, but um, there was a difference for me because if I started my own business, then I would have um, more control. I would have right. the ability to control my time a little bit better. And I would have the ability to control the kind of work that I did a little bit better. And that was crucial to me because at the time I had you know, 
fairly young, two fairly young children. And I was well aware that my, um, uh, you know, the good old Catholic guilt that I harbor would see me feeling absolutely horrendous if I wasn't able to be a really uh, vital part of their lives. And I think that that feeling is different for every parent. Um, and for me, I just knew the type of person I am, that it was better for me to be able to control my schedule so I could be there for my kids. So starting my own business made sense for me. And it's worked beautifully. Um, it doesn't mean that I work less. Um, it just means that I work differently than I would if I were going into work for somebody else. Right, right. I always figured that the that concept of controlling my own time as an entrepreneur, I always figured that was pretty much a myth because once people get going, you know, they're on that roller coaster and uh, the, they have clients to satisfy and that's even tougher than satisfying the boss. So how have you managed to turn that into actual control? Yeah, it's that is such a great question because um, – you know, I think that if someone goes into this thinking that they're going to be able to little like to to write their own schedule, that they are going to be sorely disappointed. So, um, I guess to be clear, there are plenty of times when I will make um, dinner and then receive at five thirty in the evening, a, an email saying that something needs to be done by 9 a.m. Um, or that I need to take a call when I don't want to have to take a call. Um, but then there are also days when I say, I'm sorry, I am unavailable between 10 and 12. Um, and a lot of people would just say, I have another meeting. I always say it's because I have to go to my child's Christmas concert or because <laughs> I have a dentist appointment with my um, daughter or, you know, whatever. I'm really upfront with people, including when I am available during the day. I mean, pre-COVID, um, I had, you know, the kids bus comes at a certain time in the morning and comes back at, in the afternoon, just like kids across the country. And I'm really clear with people that I'm unavailable um, to to meet and accept in specific circumstances before or after that, um, because that's what I've identified as the priority in my life. And I'm clear with people um, and people respect it. I've, I've never, I never worried about it. I think a lot of, especially other women, maybe men too, um, worry about saying that, you know, they, they are unavailable because they have a childcare um, commitment or a parenting commitment. I've never worried about it because that's part of who I am and it's part of why I started my business this way. And if that bothers you, then it's, you know, that's perfectly great. There are a million other people who would be happy to have your work. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, one of the things I find is that when someone tells me that they have, you know, a personal priority that they have to attend to, and so I have to juggle my schedule, I'm actually more willing to do it if I, if I know it's their personal project and I know that they're just guarding that slim sliver of time that they have with family or for themselves. And I, and, and, and I, I prioritize that for them higher than just general work stuff. How, how do you find uh, your clients res respond to your needs? Yeah, my clients have been terrific. Um, but I'm also um, lucky. You know, at the beginning of our conversation, I had talked a little bit about starting my own business was something that also allowed me to choose the people with whom I worked. And that remains true. I have had um, several situations 
where I have been offered work, which I have declined simply because I knew that, um, you know, the the client perhaps was not ideal for uh, my own personal um, approach to to you know the work that I want. So. Um, that's fine. They they were able to find other companies who were very happy to work with them. But I think it's important that you um, you choose your clients as much as they choose you. Um, it doesn't. I don't mean that in a in a negative way at all. I just think that if you're going to go to um, the effort of starting your own business and making it successful and trying to do it on your own terms, that you do have to have some, a clear sense of what you're willing to do and what not to do. And part of that for right. me is choosing clients who are perfectly happy to say, yeah, no problem. I got it. Um, this can be done, you know, tomorrow morning. No problem at all. Right, right. You mentioned COVID, the elephant in the room. So we should just have a chat about that. How has uh, the, the whole pandemic and its uh, ongoing aftermath affected your business? I lost about 70% of my annual income in about a four-day period in March right. because a lot of what I do um, and the absolute majority of what I do between March and July uh, is MC events across um, the country and also in other parts of the world. And I was gearing up for what is unequivocally the most um, challenging part of my year because I'm on the road for, you know, on and off for three and a half, four months. And um, literally within, and this is something that, you know, businesses and individuals across the world experienced, but um, I just received a series of emails and phone calls, which um, saw, you know, the majority of all of my work, literally all of my work uh, evaporate. And um, so that's how it affected me. But conversely, at the same time, and, and just before COVID, I had um, uh, agreed to been asked to and agreed to partner with a company based here in Ottawa called Syntax Strategic, which is run by a woman I really admire named Jennifer Stewart. Uh, Syntax is at the moment an, an all woman firm. But um, Jen had asked me to partner with her and um, Syntax to help develop a crisis communications branch. And um, Vern White actually is, who's a, a senator, offers us um, uh, safety and security consulting as well. And uh, so what happened was as part of my salary, completely and, and my work evaporated. Another part in crisis communications just grew exponentially. And we have been helping clients, um, you know, unfortunately for clients who require crisis communications, but we've been very busy helping clients across the country. And it, it's, it's been a fascinating time to be working with companies as they have you know, first looked at what the problem was, tried to figure out what was going to happen, looked at the options available to them, tried to plan forward. It's just been an absolutely fascinating time to work in communications. So the events business has uh, melted down to nothing for a while, but uh, the crisis communication business, I imagine that's uh, the, 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 there's a bull run going on there. <laughs> yeah, there really is. There really is. And it's one of the things that, um, you know, I've been talking about 
more recently when asked for advice about what communicate what companies in general need to to think of in terms of communications it's that um, you really do need to have a crisis communications plan before there is a crisis and uh, if anything, okay, it's a little late for that now. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that's what I think. It's this is a, a really great example of why, because we all watched um, this before it became a pandemic. Um, COVID kind of develop in other parts of the world, and we figured it wouldn't necessarily happen that way here. Um, and it did, and it's just the same as we watch natural disasters happen, or we watch. Um, you know, um, government issues occur and or even it, and t- in terms of, you know, um, a problem, uh, an, a, a legal problem within a company. If you aren't prepared for it and you think it won't happen to you when it does, um, you are already 10 steps behind. So that's one of the uh, that's one of the things that COVID certainly has taught me. For the entrepreneurs listening in the podcast who may not know a lot about crisis communication, um, and, you know, we're still in the later stages of the crisis, uh, what advice would you give them about making sure that, uh, that, that, that they're sending the messages that they need to and getting the messages they, that they need from, from their supply chain? Well, the first thing that I would do in, in terms of the supply chain is to make really certain that they have, and this is you know getting down to the nitty gritty, but backup of everything that they need so that they don't just have one um, copy um, on perhaps their laptop of everything that makes their company successful or even just have the ability to run properly. They need to have a backup for that. Um, most companies do have that because, you know, that's just a part of owning a computer and running a business. But I think that the um, it's really critical to know that you have to have access to the things you need in a crisis when you may not be able to get to where you work. Now, for a lot of entrepreneurs, where we work is also where we live. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the other thing I would say is to remember um, how important communications in general is to your company, not just during the good times, but especially during the bad times. You need to be able to um, have some key messages to which you can refer easily and regularly. You need to uh, communicate in a way that's truly authentic because you think about how um, we respond to someone that we feel isn't being either truthful or authentic with us or giving us all the facts that we're asking for and we feel frustration and a certain level of mistrust. I think it's always better to share the information even if it's, I'm sorry, I don't have an answer for you right now, but I'm working on it and I'm going to get back to you as quickly as I can. Um, And that's sometimes what an entrepreneur needs entrepreneur needs because it's a one-on-one relationship um, that they have with a lot of their clients too, not through an intermediary. Right, right. Do you think that uh, entrepreneurs spend enough time thinking about, thinking formally about how they communicate? That's actually a bugbear of mine. I'm wondering if it's one of yours. No, I don't think a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about how they communicate. (laughs) Right, we won't blame the entrepreneurs, right? (laughs) Um, I think that communications has always, um, gosh, it's probably viewed as a nice to have and not a need to have. And really nothing could be further from the truth. If you cannot communicate what you do and why you do it and why it's important effectively, 
then you are setting yourself up for a tough slog because everything about the world in which we live involves communication, whether that's through a screen, whether that's face-to-face, whether that's a sign that someone may read in passing. And I think that um, it is critical that as you think of your company and build your company, that you, you look at what you're trying to communicate and you figure out how to do that effectively. And if it's not your strength, then you can rely on um, the support of others who may be better at it. Um, that's one of the reasons why you know keeping your friends close is important because generally we all have a friend who's not so bad at, at communicating, just like we all have a friend who's not so bad at finances or <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, or you can rely on an organization like Startup, which can link you up with, um, with people who are willing to offer support or mentorship or help. Um, it's, it's just integral to your success. Right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you're involved in this new project, The Honest Talk. Tell me about that. Yeah, this was something, again, um, started with Jennifer Stewart from Syntax. Um, Jen and I were having a conversation one day where we were both lamenting the fact that um, there, you hear a lot um, of key messages from people, and I know I've spoken about the importance of having key messages, um, but you we don't see a lot of women who are willing to just have that conversation or have been asked to have the conversation where we talk to them about what it's really like for them in their daily lives as they try to be both professionals and partners or wives or um, mothers or um, sisters, daughters, especially because this is a generation which is also caring as other generations have, but now really profoundly for their parents. Um, you know, we wanted to create something where we could have these honest conversations with women. Um, initially, the thought was that it would be um, a live event. We would start in Ottawa um, and then at, at grow it to to move across the country. But sorry, when you say a live event, is this like a one-time conference or show, or is it an ongoing? No, an hour. An hour about every month or so um, was the thinking with a prominent woman um, on stage and an ability for not just Jen and I to ask questions, um, but one of us would be on stage with a guest and one of us would be in the audience because the audience participation was really key. This isn't just talking heads event. This was letting women ask really honest um, serious questions about what's worked and what hasn't and explain the things that um, that impact their daily lives to try and, and create a sense of, of community for professional women um, that they have the support that they need um, and if they don't have it that we find a way to either influence policy to change that or that we um, collectively can bring forward the kinds of information or tools or resources and, and we have a living website that we've created that can house a lot of that information so it becomes um, basically a tool for women to use to improve their their professional lives. Uh but, when I interrupted um, you, I think you said it was going to spread from Ottawa to other cities. Was that the idea as well? Well, and, and it was a live event, which clearly didn't work after COVID. Like, once COVID happened, <laughs> we we had to regroup. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll get back to you on that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, now it's a podcast, and we'll build from there um, as, uh, you know, as this um, health situation evolves and as 
the history of live events evolves, um, we'll reconfigure where we're going. But for now, we're talking to women like um, Nicole Verkint um, of um, OMX and a next uh, gen dragon, uh, Lisa Raitt, uh, Minister Mary Ang. Um, just a whole swath of women who have made great strides in their own careers, but are also facing um, interesting uh, personal and professional challenges at the same time. And when are you going to do that for men? Because I think the mental mental health challenges with them are pretty high, too. Okay, I'm going to leave that one for you. That can be your... Uh... Okay. I'm not very good at talking about my feelings. <laughs> well, then you can delegate. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, 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 that's true. But um, actually, if I can jump on that point, I think that's really important because um, I am also the mother of a son and I'm right. married to a man. And um, But I look at my son and I, I look at how we communicate to boys and... Um, uh, one of the boards on which I sit is the Writers' Trust of Canada, and I'm part of the Politics and the Pen Committee. We raise money through a big gala in Ottawa every year where we mm. award a prize. And last year's prize went to Rachel Giza for her, her book, Boys. And um, I just I, I think that that's also a really important um, and timely conversation to be having because I've, I'm a strong believer um, both – also in my international work, because I sit on the board of Care Canada and Care Kenya as well. I'm a big believer in the idea that we cannot achieve substantive change to better the lives of women um, unless we are also including and soliciting um, the input of men and boys too, because they are not part of the problem, they're part of the solution. And we need to be able to, to really have that conversation on a number of levels and consider how we talk to boys, um, how we raise boys um, so that we are, so that we're really ensuring that everyone is in peak health. Right. That was actually the implication of my snarky little question about doing something for, 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 for the guys. Um, because um, I think one of the things that the COVID situation has done is really uh, pointed up the mental health gaps in our society. I don't think anyone's come up with any solutions. I, I think it's been a very undercovered story uh, in the press, but we... We all need a little bit more help in doing these things. So I'm delighted you're doing it for women. And I hope we'll hope someone will get around, maybe 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 a woman, <laughs> to doing this for men as well. Yeah, and I mean, like I say, I think it's important. I think, though, you would still find that there would be a lot of women who would say, the reason we're doing this now for women is because there have always been networks to support men. And we are, um, and women are still at a disadvantage. And that's just borne out by fact. I mean, it's borne out by the fact of, if you look at board membership, um, if you look at pay gaps, if you look at um, the fact that women are still doing uh, the majority of housework, even though they are also holding professional roles. Um, there was a story in the New York Times during um, COVID that, uh, said, you know, 50% of men say they do um, an equal share of housework, 3% of women agree. <laughs> so I think, you know, it's a super important conversation, but I also think that it's responding to that um, the fact is that 
uh, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of getting women and racialized communities to where they need to be um, because there's not equal footing. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people go for to, to, to get in on the conversation in The Honest Talk? We have a website. It's thehonesttalk.ca. Fantastic. Thank you. You're also involved in something called the 21st Century Workplace Initiative. Tell me about that. This is an initiative that is aimed at some of the things that we were just talking about. It's, um, it's an initiative that looks to try to create more balanced workplaces, more inclusive workplaces. So um, it's trying to um, meet people where they're at in terms of, of their professional and personal lives um, so that those who might wish a bit more flexibility, whether that's a work from home arrangement, um, can do so without being penalized for um, you know, not working necessarily nine to five, but in fact, it takes into account the amount of time work, um, not, you know, which time frame of the day in, in which you're working. Um, it looks to raise awareness about, uh, about pay gaps. Um, it looks to raise awareness about the fact that, you know, Aboriginal women amongst um, and, and racialized women are still earning less than, um, than I, I guess I would say, uh, non-racialized women who are still earning less than their male counterparts. Um, so it's, it's looking to uh, really open the eyes of employers to what kinds of things that they can do to take into account that not everyone is coming from the same place and, um, and ensure that the workplaces that we're creating moving forward are truly able to be inclusive of all kinds of workers. Right. And how are you actually executing on that? How are you how are you getting out there and making a difference? Having uh, pilot projects in companies which volunteer to be a part of it. Um, so we're starting with five or six in the Ottawa area. Again, um, something that's been impacted by um, by COVID. But um, having them test the um, ideas behind more inclusivity in the workplace. So work from home, which clearly <laughs> everyone's doing. But um, looking at um, what works best in terms of recruiting people from various communities to work in their businesses, to paying people the same amount, to acknowledging overtime and allowing it to be taken in lieu uh, rather than, you know, just um, banked or... Um, so, you know, we're, we're running pilot projects that will give us some real data and then from that uh, building forward. And, um, you know, we need we need the first few cases to prove whether um, this is possible or not or where the good points and bad points are and allow us to uh, to effectively roll it out. Right. And this sounds like a pretty long term initiative. This, this yeah. is pretty ambitious. I think it I think it probably will be. I mean, it's it's created by a, a group of entrepreneurs. So it's, um, I mean, it's Ottawa based for now, but um, it is, we are almost exclusively entrepreneurs who are involved in it. So we don't like things that don't move quickly, <laughs> but but that's okay. We, we keep moving it along. Right. And where can I go for more information on the 21st Century Workplace Initiative? That is, um, that is still a work in progress. I mean, our first call out was through a, um, an op-ed that we had in a local uh, publication here in Ottawa where people could literally email us if they wanted 
uh, more information as as COVID recovers and as we get this project moving forward, we'll be establishing more um, uh, more places where people right. can go for more info. So we'll, we'll be hearing from you soon. Yeah, I, I really, that's, that's the goal. But like so many things affected uh, by the pandemic, um, it's, we've had a little bit of a slowdown, but we're still rolling. Looking at a subject uh, a little bit more at the heart of the entrepreneurial experience, You've had so much experience in, uh, in in government and in business and in working with people. What do you think needs to be done by business and by government better in order to support entrepreneurs and, and help them thrive a little bit quicker? I think I'd like to take a step back and focus first on the educational system. One of the neat things that has happened in the past even decade is that there has been an acknowledgement by educators of the need to have classes which uh, develop entrepreneurs. I mean, when I was growing up, I knew that um, I had tons of, of professional options to choose from when I when I went to post secondary education. Cabinet um, minister or prime minister, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, and, and of course, I ended up with a degree in the highly lucrative field of art history. But I think that, um, you know, there was still that sense, even when I was growing up, that you could, um, there, there were specific careers. You know, my mom was a lawyer. I could choose to be a lawyer. I could maybe be a doctor, although I would have failed miserably at that. There were, you know, teachers. I have tons of teachers, nurses in our family, etc. Those were specific roles. Now, um, my daughter goes to a school where they can uh, choose uh, entrepreneurial classes, you know, how to be an entrepreneur, start your own project, those kinds of things. Um, there are other schools, um, some in the private system, which have entire segments of what they offer in terms of education coming from an entrepreneurial point of view. I think that's a huge change. And what that does is it allows all these kids with a million ideas to realize that they can actually make a living out of all of their ideas. They can create something that satisfies a need in, uh, in the community or in the world, or which helps make a positive difference. So that's a big change. Mm -hmm. I think governments have been really pretty good about stepping up to the plate and saying, um, okay, uh, give us your ideas. We're going to set up uh, funds here through various um, organizations to help support you. And private industry has also set up things like awards or supporting other awards ceremonies or supporting um, through grants certain uh, projects or programs. Um, so there's always work to be done, but I, I would say that we're we're not doing too badly. I got to tell you, I, I totally agree that it's gotten a lot better. Uh, when I first started out as editor of Profit Magazine, and this is a long time ago, um, I was asked to join an organization dedicated to entrepreneurial studies, promoting entrepreneurial studies in Ontario. And uh, a few months later, the Bob Ray NDP government was unexpectedly elected. And they let our organization know that they would not be speaking to us through the length of their mandate. Wow. <laughs> 
and I, I, th- I, I think everyone's changed their tune on, on, on entrepreneurship since, including the NDP. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there has been progress. Um, but most entrepreneurs would say, you know, we still feel that uh, a lot of the money goes to, to, to bigger businesses. The, uh, the contracts go to bigger businesses. It's hard to deal with the red tape and regulation, not just in government, but uh, of supplying to bigger businesses. So, you know, there, there, there's, there's still a lot to be done. And I'm just wondering if you, have, if, if, if you hear from any of your clients about things that need to be done. Well, it's interesting because part of the thing for bigger businesses is that they have what they need to lobby effectively. So they they are bigger. They have um, far more money coming into their coffers that can then go out to help them with, like we were talking about at the very beginning, a communications plan with a government relations plan, with a lobbying effort. So... Um, they are still clearly going to be making the most noise and so heard most effectively. And they're also generating, in some, in a lot of cases, the most revenue. But um, I do think that modern governments now recognize the uh, tremendous value of looking at um, the smaller companies which are doing great things. And we saw that We've seen that during COVID with small organizations which have a good idea for how to make a positive difference quickly. And we're getting government funding because government realized we got to think outside the box here. Um, so hopefully that's that's going to continue. I understand the sense of frustration, you know, not being heard, trying to get heard, um, having a great idea, wanting to just be able to get a little bit of support to, to move it forward. Um, I think we're just in an evolutionary stage right now, and we'd like things to be quicker than they are. But um, chances are um, either in the next few months that things will be a little bit better because this is a government that knows it needs to think differently in order to really get things back on track, or it'll be a little bit tougher because we have spent, our government is spending a lot of money to try to keep our economy afloat. And so that's the problem with COVID is the unpredictability. We're, um, we're not sure which way things are going to go, and entrepreneurs are really feeling that. Yeah. I think, though, that, there, that there, a lot of things are going to change as we come out of this. And I think, you know, people are hearing each other. People are being empathetic. And uh, I'm confident that, you know, we're going to identify some of the gaps that maybe were acceptable in 2018, 19, that will no longer be acceptable in 2020 and 2021. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful as well. We'll get a lot of those things done. One of the things we said at the top of the show was we talk about the importance of continuing to innovate. So tell me why you think that's important for entrepreneurs. Well, that's, I mean, innovation and entrepreneurs, those are two words that go hand in hand. So I think that um, entrepreneurs need to um, remember that if they have an idea that's really great, um, but it's, you know, needing a little push to move forward, um, think of innovative ways to do that. If you have an idea that's not moving forward, then what other innovative ideas do you have in your bank that you can uh, bring forward, which may do a bit better and make a bigger difference? Um, is uh, how how is the exterior environment impacting the way that you do business? Um, what can you do differently to address um, short term? Uh, the short-term pain that we're all feeling. Um, what if it turns into long-term pain? How are you going to? How are you going to focus on that? So, 
entrepreneurs just need to consistently, and, and they know this because we all live it, be nimble, um, be forward thinking, uh, be willing to say this isn't working and I have to stop and try something new, or I really believe in this and I'm going to push it right to the very end. So innovating is a key element of what entrepreneurs do day in and day out, no matter the situation. Right. Do you have any quick hacks or fixes to help entrepreneurs get better at innovation or better at executing on an innovative idea? Um, gosh, I don't really, I don't want to say no, I don't, because I'm not a super big believer in, in the, the quick hacks for um, innovation. Although one of the things that I've been struck by constantly at um, startup events is this idea, both from entrepreneurs themselves and from big business and from people within the startup community saying, fail fast. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's almost a cliche now, but I do think that, um, you have to, um, you have to have confidence in what you're doing and you also have to be realistic about what you're doing. And, um, those are, those are two separate things. And if something isn't working, then put it aside and move on to the next good idea because life is too short and things happen too fast that um, there's no sense in um, just kind of keeping going if something isn't working. Put it aside, move forward, next big idea. Um, you never know where that's going to go. Right. Um, I, think, I, I, I think you've been using another innovation tool in your own business that I think is probably the most powerful one that's out there, which is collaboration. So you mentioned in a couple points about your working with Syntax Strategic and how, oh, you're doing this project and, and this other project has come out of that. And, and, and I think that's something all entrepreneurs should look at is that you can innovate by yourself, but it's so much better to do it with someone else because you combine strengths, you combine perspectives, uh, so, so, so you can see things a little bit more clearly you're out of your own bubble, and of course, you share resources uh, in order to get things done. So, 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 tell us about how collaboration has changed your life. Yes, I think the other element to that is that um, collaboration allows you to make a bigger difference in the world around you, um, not just for your business, and not just for um, for the project that you may be working on, but. Um, it allows you to take your skills and take your energies and put them towards things that actually have a direct impact on the lives of other people. And I think that um, that for me is the the importance of collaboration. Um, I am pretty busy. We're all pretty busy, but I really enjoy being involved in work and outside uh, personal commitments that allow me to use my network and use my voice and use my skills to make a difference, a positive difference in the world around me. That makes me feel like a full human being. And I think that that's why running my own business is particularly um, helpful. I don't really like being told what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I find that, um, you know, running my own business, it doesn't mean that I can't listen to people when they say, this is not a good idea. You should not do this or say this. Um, but it means that I can say, okay, um, let me think about that. Let me pivot. And then let me think about how I can do something differently to, um, you know, to move forward and to make a difference. So, um, or it lets me say, okay, I really don't like working with this person. I'm going to go down this path now. Um, I, I think that that's one thing that 
entrepreneurs should keep in mind. Always look for the ways that you can help make a positive difference, not just for your professional life, for your company, but for the world around you. Right. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs would like to do that. And they say, well, when I when I get out of this gig, then I will start to, you know, then I want to give back and I want to do more of that. I'm just wondering, in your experience, if you combine the two, if you do your business, plus engage in some of these uh, outward-facing things that are less business-oriented and more oriented towards people or issues. Um, does that come back? Does that have a beneficial effect on the business as well? Um, I think most people would say that it does. I don't pay a lot of attention to whether it does or not, which is probably not super efficient of me. But um, there's, there's absolutely no way that um, if you're known for being someone who gives back to your community, that that's not going to come back to you in a positive way. Um, and and I just, you know, say that um, looking at it from an outside perspective. If you're looking at someone, if, if you're thinking of doing business with someone and you can choose someone who does nothing in the community or someone who's really involved in actively trying to make a difference, 10 times out of 10, they're going to choose the person who's actively involved because they just feel a kind of personal relation to that person. They think that's a good person to do business with. They understand their community. They want to make a difference. I'd like to do business with them. So I think that's important for entrepreneurs to keep in mind. It's really easy to get so busy um, that you say, I can't take something else on. And we need to listen to ourselves when our bodies and our minds tell us that. But anytime that you do have an opportunity to be involved in a project, even if it's just one project that um, that lets you be involved in your community, especially if it's in a different sphere than your business, that's good for you. It's good for your business, and it's good for your community. It's fantastic. We've we, we've covered a lot of ground uh, in this podcast. We've talked about you know how to get a little control over your life as an entrepreneur. We've talked about the importance of being authentic and and coming coming to your work as a, as a human being, uh, your, your full self, and, uh, you know, some of the benefits that can accrue to that. Um, and uh, uh, as we go, I'm wondering if you have one more idea for our listeners, uh, one actionable piece of advice that they could put, that, that, that you've listened to or, or done in your, in your own career to help entrepreneurs do something better, get ahead faster in their businesses. One little piece of advice for the way out? I would just say be willing to take a risk, even if you're scared. I didn't have any idea what starting my own business might lead to. Um, it could have led to financial ruin. <laughs> and I just decided that um, I listened to what I felt um, my heart was telling me and my mind was telling me, and I decided to take a risk. So I would say to entrepreneurs, Always be willing to take that risk if you really believe in, in what you're doing. Um, and always remember that it's just one thing. And if it doesn't work, you start again. And um, it's, it, it, it's pretty easy to do once you get rolling. Um, just believe in yourself, take the risk, and then move forward. Thank you so much. We've been talking to Catherine Clark on the Startup Canada podcast. Her company is Catherine Clark Communications. She's got a number of neat projects going on, so you want to stay in touch with her. And Catherine, you and I will definitely talk again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. 
Please stay tuned for another minute to hear the latest startup community news and our upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.